0: physical, environmental, financial, spiritual, social, or habitual. We created our family of podcasts as a resource for anyone who is looking to integrate the nine elements of holistic wellness into their daily lives. Welcome to the show. The Global Wellness HQ Family of Podcasts is proudly sponsored by the Global Wellness HQ community. It's an online membership group where we meet, we share ideas, we share insights, and we all work together and help one another discover our own personal wellness journeys. If you'd like to join us, you can easily click the link below or scan the QR code. And we love hearing your stories, so we hope to see you in the community. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. Today, my co-host Pete Kane and I are very, very lucky to have the two Emilies from Hopebox. And I'd like you both to just introduce yourselves and then tell us about, about what you what do. You
1: do. I'm, I'll go first. I'm Emily Verkler, and I'm the Director of Operations for the Hopebox.
2: I'm Emily Gagne, and I'm the Director of Volunteers and Assistant to Training for the Hopebox.
0: Well, welcome, ladies. First question is probably the, the hardest one. What is the Hope Box?
1: <laughs> um, do you want me to take this one, Emily?
2: I can or you can. Hey, why
1: don't, why don't you start? I talk okay. a lot. Anyway.
2: So the Hope Box is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. We rescue at risk and abandon infants, um, as well as bring awareness and education surrounding issues of abandonment in the state of Georgia. And we're also expanding um, to other states. So it's not just, um, that's a whole nother bunny trail. Anyway, so we um, work to bring awareness and education through training safe haven providers. We amended the safe haven law in 2017. And so we go and update safe haven providers on the updated procedure and protocol for the law so that they're aware and educated on how to handle a infant relinquishment under the safe haven law in order to keep infants safe so that parents can put them in safe hands. Um, And then we also respond to moms in crisis. We have a crisis hotline where moms can call in and we'll go meet with them, talk to them about all their options so they can make an educated decision for themselves and their infants. Um, And then we just do um, a lot of other like we work with border babies we work with um sex trafficked infants just uh, yeah if there's anything i missed Emily, like, you should
1: bring it up. i think you, i think you covered all of it
3: right now yeah. I, I think she's <laughs> the director of training if i didn't <laughs> <laughs> she's
1: been well trained by the director of training <laughs>
3: <laughs> and i was gonna say uh i don't know where you're gonna jump in but, uh there's not much more you can say. I think she covered it. But then... I was just going
1: to say one of our taglines. Like we have a tagline that says um, "No agenda, just hope," and that's really where that's kind of the stance that we come from. We don't have an agenda behind what we're doing, other than we feel like people should be empowered to parent their children, um, be it a single mom, single dad, uh, family unit, whatever that looks like. It they should be empowered.
0: I love it. Now, I, I'm going to circle back because I think you two have a lot of terminology around what you do. And I, I'm going to guess there are people out there listening to this who don't understand the the severity of this case or the issues. Um, now, there, there's so many words I could pick out, but Emily, you mentioned sex trafficked infants. Um I didn't know that was a thing and, and I can't even fathom that. Um, so when Pete and I were talking about that, I said, we need to bring awareness to this. So how prevalent is this as an issue?
2: So this is an issue we didn't know existed before we the Hope box was started, um, but we ended up finding out about it through calls from our hotline. Uh, one call in particular, we had a, A lady call and say that her family member was getting out of jail and was coming to get her baby because her pimp said she could get a good price for the baby. Um, So the family member obviously didn't want to give the baby up to its mom, so they called the police and they called DFACS and because a crime hadn't occurred, there was nothing that they could do. So then they ended up finding our information, called us and we were able to get an emergency hearing before a judge and give that family member custody of the infant to protect them. And there's been a couple other cases where we've run across it. Um, The statistics for it are very underreported, but we've found that a lot of infant abandonment is closely tied with sex trafficking. Um, so it's a big part of what we do. Because people often question, like, why would a mom ever abandon their baby? But really, when the mom's just trying to put the baby in a safe place, or the mom's desperate or in danger, um, they're caught between a rock and a hard place. So, yeah.
0: Wow. And I think that's something just to let sink in for a minute. I mean, somebody's that desperate and again i I like that you say there's no judgment it's hope um when somebody's that desperate to think that that's an option um i'm gonna guess that there's a lot of judgment you know you can't reach out to your your friends your family and say you know i'm thinking of um you know i i know some mothers who had postpartum and their thoughts were i'm gonna harm the child you know what do i do and society doesn't have an answer you know we just sort of well get over it or you know like there's a lot of band-aid solutions but you're actually talking about literally rescuing babies from unimaginable things um well let's back up how did the hope box start um what was the the driving point behind that
2: so you wanna field it? <laughs> I yes, but you should definitely jump in if I miss anything. so actually, my sister is the founder, and I remember uh, years ago, she like in the starting point of thinking of the whole box, she like realized that infant abandonment was an issue and started processing ways that we could put infants into safe hands. Um, she didn't realize at the time. Um, the safe haven law and how closely everything would be tied to that um, but it actually I think her heart really started for that when she had her son abandoned on her doorstep years and years before um, and then she had to figure out a way to get sole custody of him because his mom was bipolar kept trying to take him back so she had to figure out how to get sole custody as a non-blood relative and studied the law and Um, really learned a lot about um, child laws and abandonment and all of that through that phase in her life. And so then that kind of created a lot of awareness for her. And then when she started the whole box, it really wasn't, uh, she didn't really know exactly like the issues we'd be dealing with now. Um, She didn't understand border babies, which are babies boarded in hospitals. They're medically cleared to be discharged, but they have nowhere to go. Um, she didn't understand sex traffic in infants. These are things that we've just come across and learned that this is an issue and we need to deal with. So we just, as an organization that advocates for infants three and under, it's just kind of grown and involved into what it is.
0: And, and I think that's important to point out. You're advocating for human beings who don't have a voice and... You know, I, I suspect there's a lot of issues that lead to, you know, abandonment. And, you know, some of the obvious ones to me are probably drugs, alcohol, mental illness, poverty. Um, what other things are leading to abandonment that you're discovering?
1: Ooh, that's a loaded question. Um, <laughs> so we there's a lot to do with that in the state of Georgia. So. There are four reasons why a mom could not go home with a baby in the state of Georgia. Um, If the baby is found to have drugs in their system, alcohol in their system, if the mother has had previous children taken away, she will get flagged in the system. Sometimes maybe that child won't be taken away, but there will be some investigation and trying to make sure that she's okay um, in homelessness. Um... We have a very large homeless population here in the state of Georgia, and we also have a very large immigrant population. And so we have a lot of people who come here who do not understand the rights that they have available to them because they are on this soil versus what they grew up in. And I I think that's a really interesting thing to, to bring light to is When you have a very large population of people who immigrate here and their laws that they lived with are completely different, they don't automatically just adopt what you have as the law of the land here because that's not what they've known. So there is a lot of shame and hiding and things that happen that don't have to be so because we have different laws for women's rights and infant rights and things like that here on the United States soil. Um, so I would say incarceration is another one. Moms who are incarcerated who don't know where to put their children, lack of actual community. Um, there's a lot of people who move here and they don't have their parents or their aunts or they don't have anyone to help them. Right. And I don't know if you've had babies. I've had babies. I- Lord, like if I had not had my brothers around and close friends who are willing to come and help me with things, it's hard having a child. And when, when people say it takes a village, it does take a village. It takes a village of willing participants to, to create a safe place for the, for this very nuanced and new thing that is happening and for it not to be this, oh, well, you should feel ashamed. So those are just a few things that we can touch on that that we've that we've come across.
0: And I think that's, you know, the, the, the recognition of the causes, because I think sometimes if, you know, people get too busy blaming the person and you don't look at the causes, we lose sight of, you know, do we have a way to make this better? um mm-hmm. you know dealing with, with immigrant populations you you have to deal with not only the laws that they come from but also the culture the religion um mm-hmm. you know there's a lot of things we can look at and say well everybody knows that well not always yeah so I, I think it's fair to say that we can all agree that somebody sex trafficking babies is bad. Um, you know, and yes <laughs> to understate it so much. I mean, it literally when Pete told me that, I was like, that's a thing. Um, you know, so I, I'm gonna turn this around and you know, it's it's not the people who supply, you know, oh. when you look at at prostitution and things like that, it's not the prostitutes, it's the not just the system that supplies, but it's the demand for it. Mm -hmm. Um, What is the state of Georgia doing about sex trafficked babies or the U.S. in general?
1: That's a really, really good question because it's not talked about as much. Um, We get a lot of our statistics from the sex trafficking hotline. So that means someone has to call and make a complaint babies can't talk so that makes it very very hard to one prove a crime and two for people to have the understanding to know what the difference is between a sex trafficked infant and just an abused infant um and it's it's dark it's a very dark place to go it is it is not the easiest space to to be in and I, I liken it into you have law enforcement and you have your first responders, you have your firefighters, they you see the worst of the worst. And if they don't have the training to know what they're looking at, then they're not going to know how to report it or even how to advocate properly for like what that person needs. And so that's one of the things that I think the state of Georgia has really tried to do. Uh, where they're trying to get the the training to the appropriate people who are going to come across it the most. But also, the state of Georgia is the largest state landmass-wide east of the Mississippi. We, we're huge, and people don't realize that. And uh, we have 159 counties, and out of our 159 counties, yeah. 22 of them are designated rural So we have a lot of large landmass that is not well-funded, that people don't really have the resources to get what they need there. And it's kind of concentrated into Metro Atlanta. And I'm I'm not saying that that's a bad thing, it's just the way that it's panned out. Um, And it's one of those things that the, the more we can get the training out, the more funding to those entities, the easier it's going to be to gather statistical data to make sure that the things are being reported properly, because right now, sometimes people will go train and we'll mention things and you'll see a light bulb go off in their eyes. And then they're like, oh, I wish I have known you got you six months ago because we had this, this and this. And now that you're saying that I can see that X, Y and Z was happening. And we're like, we're really glad that you got the training now, because if we know better, we do better.
0: Well, and coming back, if we had community and that awareness, you know, a lot of these things require isolation and and you know indifference. You know, it's mm-hmm. important to get to know your neighbors. And I'm just thinking about these these infants. You know, they can't speak for themselves. It's not like they can pick up the phone and call a hotline. You know, they can't mm-hmm. run out in the street and say, "Help me! This is happening." You know, it's so uh, how do these kids come to light like is it
2: so actually infants ages children ages three and under are the most statistically abused and neglected actually a year and under they hold the majority statistic for abuse neglect sex trafficking abuse all of that Um, And it's simply because they can't speak, they can't give a testimony if something happens to them. They're not in school, they're not around other adults who could be looking for signs. Um, So it's for a lot of people just an easy crime, which is horrible. Um, And so yeah, a a lot of times this is just a very underreported issue. Um, There's not nearly enough awareness, like we've said, most people don't aren't really aware that sex trafficking is a big thing in the U.S., let alone infant sex trafficking. Um,
0: And honestly, Emily, I I, I hear about sex trafficking and you think about third world countries and, um, you know, there's Mm -hmm. an organization called Operation Underground Railroad that Mm -hmm. does that over there. And I say that generically, but to think that that's happening here.
2: Most people aren't. I remember in college... Like giving a report in front of my classmates about sex trafficking in the United States, and the majority of them didn't know it happened in the United States. Like they think, oh, yeah, in some third world country, that's a thing, but it's in our backyard and we're very unaware of it.
0: Wow. I'm going to throw this out for our listeners, but I feel like we have a moral obligation to give those infants that voice. Um, You know, full disclosure, I had two boys that were both colicky and i'll admit to times we didn't like them much but we always loved them you know it yeah. was just what does it take to make this poor child go to sleep um i can't imagine you know emily as you said at the beginning my wife and i we took turns we'd spell off you know we had a community around us so what are some things we can do as a collective and i'm going to put this moral obligation out there um how do we give these infants a voice who who do we need to call who do we need to annoy um who do we send angry letters to like <laughs> I'm just not okay with this. You guys are breaking my sense of reality. So.
1: so yes, we're we're not exactly this is not party talk. Like I talk about that yeah, a lot. Like, <laughs> don't ask me what I do at a party, because then it just feels like the whole party just goes downhill. Um, but it's something we're passionate about. So the first step is for people to really understand that crimes against children happen. So each county in their either sheriff's department or their police department should have a crimes against children section they should have some form of community outreach there and they should get in touch with them and get get the statistics for maybe their area or ask them do you have statistical data on sex trafficking Um, ask them if when they speak about children if they're saying the child and that means 14 and above or 12 and above because a lot of places that's as low as they go they don't talk about children younger than that Sometimes it's for the protection of the child, but the truth is, is if we don't catch them when they're younger, those are the people who have been domestically sex trafficked here in the United States. And then they grow up thinking that that's the only way that they can earn a living. So they, do they just merge seamlessly into prostitution. Um, in the state of Georgia, you have to be 16 years old to consent to have sex. So you cannot be prostituted <laughs> until then. And so that's one thing that I've had, like learning the learning the wordage for that is very important because I've heard a lot of people going, oh, well, that child was in prostitution. No, that child was exploited (laughs) because they can't consent to things. Can we just please use the correct language there? Like, don't tell me that this this little 11 year old was prostituting themselves because they were not doing that. They were doing they were doing what they were shown to do and and to do. do exactly so they believe that that's normal but they were they were exploited because they didn't know better there's someone out there who knew better and the next thing i would say is don't go looking up stuff on your own computer because there are entities out there that watch your like don't start searching dark web stuff and like looking for things like that because that's just going to get you and knock on the door from like the fbi and nobody wants to be on that list um go go talk to your crimes against children division look and see if there's organizations in your city that are training on what to look for who to report to because they even have sex trafficking tasks task force in in certain states um not i don't know if every state has one but if they don't they should and you can normally look that up and find out who's on there who's giving trainings. You can okay, sit okay. in their meetings. They have quarterly meetings and you can hear um, what's going on. Look into your county's, um, what it, it's the Infant Mortality Review Board. They have to get together monthly or quarterly to go over the children that have either passed away in their county and they have to look at it. And it's very helpful, even though it's heartbreaking to sit in those to really get the scope of what's going on because those are people who either are very depraved and they've become very numb to their own humanity. So they're they're okay with doing stuff like this to children or two, they're, they were so abused that they're just following the cycle and we need to intercept that somewhere and help them because maybe they want an out and they don't know how so why can't we as a community try to f- help them in
3: that
0: and, and i think that's a good point that you know somebody who's been exploited and abused unfortunately the the statistics are whatever it is that's what they're going to grow up as normal um, yes. so we we need to be aware of that now um my brain is going in a thousand directions but the the thought i have in my head Is these exploited, abused, especially infants under one? They're not going to pop up at Sunday school. They're not going to be at church. They're not going to be in a daycare. Um, How are these kids being found?
1: So some of them are being found when they come in for um, abuse, like just regular checkups, or they're showing up in the ER. There is, I I don't know where they do it, but here in the state of Georgia, we have a special children's hospital called CHOA, which is Children's Healthcare of Atlanta, and the head pediatrician there is a board-certified child abuse specialist. Meaning that he's gone through very specific training so that he can look at it and say, no, babies don't just get hairline fractures on their ribs. They had to have been squeezed. They have like there has to be a certain amount of pressure because their bones are very pliable. Um, this obviously, this type of brain damage is this, and then they're also able to say what. Other people might think is abuse. They're like, actually, that's a genetic condition, and the parents don't need to go through all this. So they get very specialized training. There's only 300 board certified child abuse specialist pediatricians in the country, which I think is is probably something that maybe needs to change. There need every pediatrician should be board certified. I think because then it allows you to look at specifics and say this looks like maybe we need to intervene because more than likely before the child comes in abused or trafficked or sexually assaulted, there's signs and they're minimal signs because you, you start small and then you, then you grow up, you get larger with that. And if, if a pediatrician or someone in the community can actually see those signs early on, that would help create community and maybe even and it could be something as easy as postpartum depression or you're dealing with a parent who has mental illness um some of it is they were abused as well and they never got counseling or help healing so out of our trauma we lash out and traumatize the people around us and it's not an excuse but it is what it is
3: yeah
0: Wow. And, wow. and that's the thing. I, I've long said that hurt people hurt people. You know, it, it's not something, unless you've had an intervention of some sort, people don't stop and say, okay, the cycle ends here. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, when you think it's normal, whatever your normal is, you don't question it. Um, I'm wow. I, I'm going to have nightmares tonight.
3: Thank you both. Um, <laughs> Can I jump in? I'm so in, sorry. No, really no, I'm no. Do you... not apologize. We... No, I'll, I'll give you a little break. Because I, I met this, uh, met the team up at a charity golf event. I interviewed, uh, I mean, live streamed Dave and, and Sarah way back when. Um, and so Dave said, hey, I'm having this charity event. And so I was trying to get adaptive golf to it. it didn't happen. But anyway, I went over there in the morning. And I met some of the, uh, the sweetest people that you'd ever want to meet, Jeff. I mean, every single one of them just had a, a a glow about them because I'm sure it's what they do and the impact that they're making. And it was... Take your time, Pete. That's my physical therapist taught me that trick. (laughs) Tell when you lose it. If you just learn to breathe, it gets better. (laughs) Yeah. My point was, um, every single one, even the guys that were married to these girls, because I think most of the organization is women. Would I say that? Is that accurate or just my... That opinion? is
1: very accurate. <laughs> okay.
3: So, yeah, I remember meeting Dudley. Is Dudley married to any...
1: Dud mm-hmm. is married to Dana, who's our director of training. He, okay. he and Dana are amazing.
3: Yeah, I mean, I met and we had a great conversation. But uh having two sisters, two daughters, and five granddaughters, I, I, I I'm familiar with women. And so... Mm-hmm. I was pleasured to meet every single one, Jeff. You would have rock stars because they just glowed and they were loving what they were doing. And it's like, whoa, man, what it would be to be a part of this organization.
0: Well, and, and again, Emily, you were apologizing for, for giving me nightmares, but I mean, the reality is that's your job. Like, you know, we need to hear this stuff and go, wait a minute. I'm not okay with that. Like, you know, it, it's I, I think it's safe to say anybody can picture a baby under a year old and think, you know, that infant, no matter what has happened in their lives, deserves to be nurtured and cared for. And um, honestly, I don't want to know people who think otherwise. You know, if, if mm-hmm. hurting babies is OK, um, sorry, that's a club I'm not going to join Um now, let's talk about the hope part of Hope Box, because I've picked on you and I've gone through the darkness. <laughs> um, so l- let's talk about, you know, we I love where you come from. And, and Emily, I, I really appreciate what your sister has built, because I think, um, you know, there needs to be something like Hope Box in every community. Um, what are you guys working on now that you might want to share with our audience? Maybe somebody can help you with.
1: Do you wanna take that or you want me to? I
2: want you
0: both to tell, what are you personally working on?
2: (laughs) Yeah, so um, I mean, right now we're really trying to get information out to every county, every community, uh, what we do just so moms can have access to that information and help. So um, if, if people have any connections with pregnancy centers, safe haven providers, specifically training chiefs over fire, police stations are super helpful people um heading training in hospitals things like that we need our information out there um, so that every county has our training and has the information they need so that moms can get access to help also just churches and pregnancy centers we offer like free informational presentations or we can send our information like a brief summary of what we do so that if a mom comes and needs our assistance, they can refer us to them and let them know what we can help them with. Um, so really getting our information out there is a huge thing. And then um, we're also working on uh, several other things. We're building um, our hospital to home project, which is something that because of COVID, we've had to put on the back burner, but we're wanting to push more, which is helping uh, partner with DFACS to place infants boarded in hospital sooner because a lot of people don't realize like what a detriment it is to the development of the infant to just sit in the hospital and not be in a loving and conne- uh, connected family. So uh, these infants, if they're left there too long, they will developmentally suffer and never recover. Um, So it's really vital and crucial that they get placed fast enough, unfortunately, because of how overwhelmed our DFACS system is, which is the Department of Family and Child Services. um, They, if you have a DFACS worker and they have a three-year-old being abused and they have an infant safe in the hospital, they're going to go save a three-year-old. So that infant just sits there longer. So we're wanting to partner, we've already began a partnership with DFACS and we're in communication working to figure out how we can help them place these infants faster um and then there I don't know what else I should share so I'm gonna let you take over Emily
1: (laughs) so I think it's funny like you you said I want to know who's doing what well a director of operations I have to know what everybody's doing at all times and so I feel a lot of different things um like right now I'm dealing with Preparing some PowerPoints because I'll be, we'll be doing our vision casting every year at the end of the year. We host a vision cast for our. Our employees, so that we can hear from them where they where they would like their areas to go, and then Sarah gives like an overview of what our organization is going to do, like going to aim for in 2023. And normally she has me come in and teach teach something. We're going to do some personality team building because that's part of a passion of mine that I I teach a lot on trauma, and so I've been putting together trauma teachings it's one of the things that we do for our volunteers because i feel like if people don't understand trauma or they don't understand their trauma and they're not healed from it then they come in and they start advocating for people and they don't advocate for that person they're advocating for themselves because yep. they're not healed and so we work really hard to make sure that our volunteers are taking self inventory and really there to advocate for the person who's in front of them and so i i've been developing some, some of that on the side. Um, but one of the things that we're really looking to do is to amend maybe the safe haven law a little bit this year in Georgia, but we would love to work with anybody who wants to help us on the federal level because it is mandated that every state have a safe haven law, but they are so different from, from state to state that it's very confusing for moms who move. So one of the things that I would love to do is to create a federal baseline of this is what safe haven across the board is going to look like in every state and every state can go above and beyond what the federal government has said, but the minimum requirement should be this. And that has been very hard to get in front of the right people. And I've been working on that project for, I mean, I've got PowerPoints and we have things written up and we've. We've gone before the, the Uniform Law Commission and they didn't feel like picking it up. Um, so like there's there's gotta be someone out there who really want like that's a passion of theirs. Like, we can we can make better laws and policies to protect families, to protect infants, to protect children in general, and to help to help really that foundational piece. Cause if a child grows up in a foundationally healthy community. They're gonna be they're gonna be better, and these are the people who are gonna end up being our future doctors, presidents, leaders of the community. And I would like them to be healthy and whole when they're doing that.
0: Well, one of my things, I I do a lot of coaching with adults, and I can't help but think if we stopped breaking children, we wouldn't have to fix broken adults. And you you know, that's um, now I can say things that you might not feel comfortable with, but uh, you can muzzle me if you prefer, but. One of my experiences with nonprofits is that you're always either looking for money, volunteers, or awareness. Um, would it be fair to say those are your three top three?
2: I would say the top two would definitely be money and awareness. Volunteers mm-hmm. is always a need and we love our volunteers, but we definitely have um, we haven't had too much of an issue with where we are right now. As we grow, we will need more volunteers. Um, but yeah.
0: Well, and and coming back to Emily's first point, I think we need these pediatric people. They need to have this awareness and the skill set. Um, my brain goes to the colleges where you know these people are going to get their training. Um, <laughs> I feel like we need to find a grassroots campaign to get that awareness, because I mean, honestly, I know a lot of pediatricians who went into it because they like love helping babies, not because they thought they needed to rescue babies. And, you know, I, I feel like if they knew that, um, they'd be on the crusade as well. So um, I'm going to say to those listening, and, and I'm going to get you to share where and how this is best done. But I feel like, you know, if everybody's thinking, you know, do I buy this new car, that new car, you know, do I buy another big TV or do I buy this or that? Um, I feel like there's a nice and again, I get nothing out of this other than um, a little bit of changing the world. But I feel like supporting Hope Box would go a long ways to making the world a better place. Um, How can people support you?
1: Wow, there's um, many different ways, isn't there, Emily? You go ahead.
2: Oh no, you're good. I was just gonna say people can go to the hopebox.org. ThehopeBox.org. Um, and we have they can donate online just by clicking. There's a donate button. It's not hard to find. Um, and then uh financially is one of the biggest ways. And then um even sharing our information with organizations that can partner with us is another huge way that they could support
1: Mm -hmm. that yeah signing up for our newsletter is a great way to find out what we're doing um we're also on amazon smile so we like to tell people we're your favorite nonprofit. go ahead and do all your christmas shopping but do it through amazon smile and have it go back to the hope box because then you're like you're doing two things at once you're Christmas shopping and you're supporting babies. Um, we have uh, Giving Tuesday is always a huge thing that nonprofits talk about. We don't call it Giving Tuesday; we call it Giving back, back Tuesday. Back. It's one of our favorite days. We get to sometimes it's us just delivering free meals to fire stations. Uh, this year we're actually going to hold a mommy mart, and we're going to have different locations that moms who may not feel comfortable actually like calling us and saying they need help can just drive by and pick up necessities that they might need for them and their children to be able to thrive. And so um, if you sign up for our newsletter or follow us on Facebook, TikTok, Twitter, um, Instagram, we're on LinkedIn, we're on all the platforms. If you follow us, you'll see us start to post. And then we have a Valentine's ball that we host in February, um, February 11th, I believe it is this year. And that's just a fun night that ends up being tax deductible um, for where we bring awareness to what we're doing. But you also get a really nice dinner and you get to dance and party with us um, through it all. And I I would say you can donate and there's many ways you can donate. You can do it financially. You can do it with your time. You can do it with professional experience. Um, We have Amazon lists if you go look us up on Amazon where you can purchase a car seat and have it delivered to us so that if a mom calls us and needs a car seat, we have that for her. It's shocking how many moms like have babies, but don't have car seats or they have babies and then they find out that they can't breastfeed and they don't have access to formula, things like that, that we can provide a practical answer to, to the need instead of it being ended up ending it in a crisis. It's something where we can like we can like hit that right in the beginning and keep it out of the crisis territory.
0: I love that, and I think um I'll, I'll make sure I get the links for for those programs because I think that's that's huge. Um, now this feels to me I, I'm just going to go there. I'm obviously I'm I'm Canadian, not American, but I feel like there's a political somebody needs a kick in the pants. Somebody needs a little bit of willpower and motivation. Um, are there any political candidates, anyone that you're supporting right now that maybe people should be coming out and, and talking to and, and raising awareness? Or is it so quiet we haven't reached that level of noise yet?
1: So um, we tend to just tell everybody, contact your representatives and your senators. Okay. Um, okay. I did a lot of politics when I was younger. Um, Civics was a huge deal for me. I thought for sure I was going to be an attorney, it was going to change the world. And then I did my first moot court competition and was like, no, this is not for me. <laughs> so <laughs> so on, a, on a good month, there are representatives that we elect, we the people elect them, I hear from maybe three people. They can't know what you as the community want unless you tell them (laughs) so it's important that you're emailing or calling them those people actually want to hear from you because they have to know what their community needs and if you're not telling them they're guessing and then you get mad at them and they're like but i was guessing so yes we we as the hope box we don't back political candidates because we're Like, if you don't want to say babies, then you kind of look like a jerk, no matter what political affiliation you have. Yeah, Babies are non-political in our realm. Like, they're just humans. Can we please all just agree that they need as much care and support as possible? (laughs) So I say any representative you have, anybody that gets elected, especially because we have midterms and all the upheaval that's going around with all of that right now, contact them, email them. Give them a phone call. Most of them, if you elected them, it means they're in your general vicinity and they have an office somewhere close to you. Go visit them. And most of the people that I've talked to are very friendly and open and they want more feedback. They just don't know how to get people to actually give it to them.
0: I love it. Now, is there some sort of? Um, I, I'm just thinking out loud because people I know a lot of people they want to help, but then they don't know how to say it, and you know, there's that fear of ending up on an FBI watch list because you went and googled something. <laughs> I'm yes. not kidding. That's uh, I think Pete and I have yes. had that conversation at least twice today. It's like oh, somebody's listening, um, but the reality is, it, I think one of the things that would be really handy. And, and Emily, I'm going to task you with this is, you know, when we put this out in the digital magazine and in the show notes, um, would it be okay if we had some talking points so that when they do reach out to their their political candidates, they're not raving like a lunatic and saying, save the babies? Because, yeah, I think we can all take that as a given, but politicians need a path and they need direction. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, maybe there's some talking points on here's how to save the babies.
1: Yes, that is a really good point. The first thing I would say is is pr- try to press the point that you're talking about life that's already been established because abortion is kind of roe v Way, that's a very big buzzword right now. Yeah. Most yeah. of what we deal with is life that's already been established. So we're not ta- we're not taking a side on either side of that. This life is already here. How can we help it to thrive?
0: Well, and and I would argue pro-life, pro-abortion, whatever. I think most arguments are, okay, we have a life. Now let's. Yes. So it doesn't have to be a political hot potato. Nobody wants to touch, right?
1: Correct. It does not have to be the hot potato or the elephant in the room or anything like that. They can talk about, um, do you know the safe haven law? That is probably the first question I would ask your representative. Most Most of them may have heard of it, but they may not have read the statute. So they don't understand where it comes from. Um, The next one would be, do we have statistical data in our state on how many infants have been abandoned? Um, In the state of Georgia, it gets a little muddied because we have like abandoned, abused, and neglected, and they're all kind of lumped into one thing. So we don't really have subcategories in that that explain it deeper, which is something that we're working on um statistical data is very very helpful and then ask them what can we do as a community to make sure that these babies aren't falling through the cracks because then that causes your your politician to look at you and go oh i maybe they had no clue and if they aren't a part of the committee that's that's seeing that health and human services what whatever committee that they're on they should know someone who's on the committee that you need to talk to and they can bring you into the conversation and the more people we get talking about it the more questions are asked the the better conversations we have which means then we have better think tanks coming around the issue that we need which is babies should be thriving Humans in general should be thriving. What can we do so that they can thrive younger? So where they're not struggling as much as they're, when they're older, let's, let's help them thrive when they're younger so that they're able to thrive better as adults as well.
0: I love that. Now, my final question is probably the hardest one. Um, is there anything I should have asked you? We've gone through a whole bunch of things, but is there anything I should have asked you that I didn't? Hmm.
1: Let's see. We've been plugging all the things lately. What haven't we plugged? Um, we have a podcast. I feel like that's probably a good place to start. We have a lot of, um, it's called the Hope Box podcast. Um, and you can find it on Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, Spreaker—it's—it's it's on all the platforms. Pod- yeah. Spotify, um, and we we tackle a lot of awkward subjects. We have an entire podcast on Roe v. Wade when it got overturned. Like not taking a stance on it, just reading through the law, which most people have never done. <laughs> yeah,
3: okay.
1: and like explaining why people were acting like this and asking questions like, this was a statute from 1858. Why? Why? What was happening back in 1858? Like, let's let's ask some questions here about, yeah. about what we were doing. Um, and so we tackle some hard questions, but we also have question and answer podcasts. So when people have questions about certain things, we go very in-depth on that podcast. So if you've heard something that piqued your interest here that we've talked about, we probably have a podcast on it. You should go listen to it. It will help answer a lot more questions. <laughs>
0: I love it. And I really, really appreciate both of you taking your time. I know you're doing valuable work and and we'll do as much as we can. Um, do you have any parting thoughts? Um, we'll go with Emily Verkler first, and then Emily second. Um, any parting thoughts?
1: Just that when you know better, you do better. So if you're feeling a little depressed because of some of the the subject matter because it was pretty heavy, like take a moment feel it, but don't live there and realize that even small actionable steps help create change. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, I mean, just to piggyback off of that, I feel like when I started learning about all this, it can get so overwhelming and heavy, especially when you're face to face working with people and you're hearing about their abuse and their trauma and it's in front of your face. It can get so overwhelming. Um, But I would say the thing that really helps me is, A, sometimes you just need a good cry session to like let yourself feel it. And B, just do what you can the next step in front of you. So whether that's um, like for me, it's like, okay, well today I can help the whole box, you know? But not everybody can do that for a job. This is obviously my job. Sometimes it can be as simple as I'm gonna just help this organization that's helping babies and volunteer, you know, or I'm going to donate, or I'm going to just be diligent to help love the person in front of me, you know, Um, it's the little things that really do matter. And yeah, don't get overwhelmed, because it's too much to try to save the world in one day. (laughs) I've felt that pressure.
3: (laughs) Wonderful advice from Emily. Yeah, I kind of got emotional. So I've had my session. So maybe I need to move on.
0: (laughs) Well, and, and and I think, you know, as, as you were saying, Emily, it's a lot to change the world, but, you know, sometimes you can change someone's world, you know, find that mom who maybe has a little postpartum and just say, you know, can I watch your baby or, mm-hmm. you know, take a bottle of formula over Like there's little things that can improve the world of those around us. So um, I want to thank you both. This has been fabulous. And Pete, as always, thank you for, uh, bringing this together i think um as i said i'm going to have nightmares over this but um this is my way of helping and that's you know if we can raise that awareness and um you know for every person like me who you know i would move heaven and earth to protect a child um if we don't know there's a problem we're not going to be you know racing to the capital and saying, hey, we need change. So thank you both for being in the trenches and uh, thank you for all your great work helping those vulnerable and at-risk babies.
1: Thank you for having
2: us. Yeah, thank you.
0: to your wellness.